Hello, seasoners, and welcome back to the Travel and Tourism Podcast, my first season. My guest today was born in Alexandria, Egypt. Then he immigrated to Philadelphia in 1961. He then got his BA and master's at Temple University and was two years into his PhD when he left for Club Med. We're going to get into that and why. His first season was at Club Med Fort Royal in 1970 as a tennis geo. Altogether, he worked for Club Med from 1970 to 2001. He was a chief of village from 1973 to 1976 and then held positions such as director du pays, general manager and managing director. Who is this mystery person? Well, it is the one and only Alex Elkayem. Alex, how are you? Bonjour. Bonjour, Greg. I'm doing fine. How is it uh, in your part of the world? It's uh, very nice. Uh, spring is in the air. The sun is out and uh, we're ready to talk. And where are you currently living, if I may ask? I live in uh, Bordeaux in the southwest of France, a region that is very well known for its wines. Oh, okay. Very nice. Very nice. And are you a red or white guy? I'm a red, but I don't drink that much. Okay. Me neither. I can't do it anymore. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So thank you for joining us. Thank you for coming on to share your story, because I know you have a very interesting one. Since I work for Concordia University in Montreal, I'm, uh, I'm kind of fascinated with academics and all that. So I guess if you can take me to when... Two years into a PhD, I guess you had about two years left, right? It's about four years for a PhD? No, PhD is two. But then at the end of your PhD, you have to write a thesis and you have seven years to write it. But uh, I happened to have divorced and I was looking for a nice place to uh, forget about my divorce. And uh, I read a newspaper and I saw uh, Club Med Vacation, Fort Royal, $499 for one week. So I went. Okay. And uh, at the time, was did Fort Royal have a designation? Was it singles, family, couples? No, uh, it, it didn't have a designation. It was just uh, holidaying at uh, Club Med, and I had no idea what it was. Okay. And were you, when you got there, were you like, what is this place? Why are people dancing? What's going on? <laughs> not, not, not with that tone of voice. As a matter of fact, I thought I was back in paradise. It was <laughs> fantastic. The uh, people were great. The geos were great. As we will talk a little bit further on, I speak several languages. So I was comfortable with everyone. I played good tennis. So yeah. uh, I fit in uh, immediately. Well, yeah, I'm noticing that you went on this holiday in 1970. Your first season was in 1970. So did the chief of village try to recruit you when you were on vacation? What happened? No, not not at all. What happened is when I finished that holiday, I went back home to Philadelphia. And uh, I thought that uh, I would love to work for a place like this. I've always dreamed of being in beautiful places around the world, traveling, entertaining and doing sports. So I discussed it with my mother, who was my advisor then. And she said, listen, uh, why don't you go and apply? So I called the New York office and I got an interview with the director of the New York office, uh, who was a great gentleman called Stefan Geisler. And he interviewed me. And right there and then, you know, he explained to me that uh, Club Med was really opening to the American and the North American market. And my profile interested him. 
and then he asked me what I what I what I knew how to do well. So I said, you know, uh, except except for academics, uh, I could do uh, sports and I play good tennis. And as a matter of fact, I um, uh, beat the tennis instructor at Fort Royal. So uh, he said, no way. I said, yes. I, he said, why? I said, well, because I was better than he was. He says, were you the one who caused them to leave the resort and go back to Paris? I said, well, what happened? He said, well, the poor bugger walked on a piece of glass. He got infected and he had to go back to Paris. So now I'm offering you the job of tennis instructor. You have to leave next week. <laughs> so at the time, I was a teaching fellow. I was uh, still uh, going for my PhD. So uh, I said to him, listen, I can't go that fast. I need three weeks. I have an apartment. I just bought an MGBGT that I love. Let me answer. He says, three weeks, you got them, but not more. So I got back home and uh, I did what was necessary. And three weeks later, I got back to Fort Royal. And that was the beginning of the story. Okay. How much time elapsed from when you, you know, you left there on vacation to the time you went back? Was it weeks, months? Three weeks. Okay. So did the GOs, when you came back, did they remember you? Oh, definitely. As a matter of fact, the chief of the village with whom I'm very good friends uh, now because he lives in Bordeaux. And his name, he was a great chef de village and also a director of the pays. Uh, it's Daniel Hautefeuille. And we have lunch every two, three weeks together and we reminisce. Anyway, when he saw me arriving, he thought I was a GM coming back. And I said, no, no, I'm a GO coming to work here. And he was very pleased. And uh, we became very good friends because uh, he uh, later became an American citizen and married an American lady. So, uh, you know, we have a lot of things in common. Okay. And during your interview, did you mention how many languages you speak? And if so, how uh, many do you speak? Of course, of course. I speak five languages, uh, French, Italian, Arabic, uh, Spanish, and obviously English. Where did you learn Italian? Well, as a matter of fact, Italian was my first language because uh, in Egypt, uh, we had the luxury of having governesses. And my governess was Italian. So while my parents were gallivanting around the place, uh, I was uh, speaking with my governess, and that was Italian. Okay, interesting. Now, how long was your season in, in Guadeloupe? What do you... Well, uh, it, was, it, 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 was, it was the whole uh, winter, from November to April or May, something like that. And since you already went as a GM there, you probably didn't have any uh, culture shock anymore, right? Or club med culture oh, shock? Oh, not, not, not at all. I, I, I fit right in. And as a matter of fact, I was, uh, remember, it was 1970. So there weren't that many American GOs and even less American GOs who spoke French. So all the Americans who were in uh, the majority of uh, GMs uh, came to me because the chief of the village could hardly speak uh, English. So uh, I was de facto the assistant of the chef de village. And uh, I even remember, you know, uh, him being a bit jealous at the beginning. But then I explained to him that I had no ambition to take his place. <laughs> and you're probably, I'm guessing, the only tennis geo in all of Club Med that had a master's degree. <laughs> 
Uh, that, to, as a matter of fact, I have to admit that uh, for a long time, I hid the fact that I had degrees okay. uh, because I knew it would be frowned upon because a lot of GOs in those days started at age 18 uh, to become GOs. And, uh, you know, they progressed uh, uh, within Club Med and they spent many years there. Therefore, they didn't have time to be academics. And I didn't want to be the geek of the place. Okay. <laughs> the nerd, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right. So what do you, uh, what can you tell me about that Guadalupe season before we move on to your next one? Anything interesting happen? Well, it was, you know, I, I was discovering paradise. You know, I was playing, uh, instructing tennis. I was the only instructor with five courts. So you can imagine how busy I was. I worked uh, long hours, which I enjoyed. And then in the evenings, I did uh, uh, my uh, shows on, on stage. And, uh, you know, I met great geos. And one of them, I don't know if, uh, you know, he's very famous within Club Band. It was Mike Mooney. He was uh, a Scottish uh, geo with great character, great personage, as they say in French. And he later become, became chef de village, as a matter of fact. And uh, Mike Booney was redhead with a beautiful, beautiful mustache, you know, very long mustache, big belly, uh, redheaded and wearing the Pareo. It was really very nice. And he was a very, very nice man. No, it was mainly doing sports, uh, meeting American GMs from all over America, some Canadians. So, no, it was uh, it was a good induction. So how do you get to... Morocco, and now you're you switch from sports to public relations, correct? Yes, exactly. Well, as a matter of fact, I thought I would stay in the American zone, but uh, uh, in those days, uh, for those who uh, still remember, there was a very very intelligent man who was in charge of all the geos worldwide, and his name was Andre Regard. And André Regard was the man who appointed chiefs of the village. And he was the man who made sure that the chief of the village fit with the village and with the geos that were sent to be his team. I was sent to Agadir uh, for my second season. They opened up the job of public relations because Agadir was an international resort then. And they had quite a few international GMs. And in those days, again, uh, except for very few foreign GOs, most of the GOs were French. And as you know, the French don't speak many languages. So, so they started the job of public relations, and I enjoyed that very much. And uh, again, once more, the chief of the village at the beginning was a bit upset because the GMs used to come to me and not to him. But again, I had to explain that uh, I had no ambitions at that time. Who was the chief of Agadir? Uh, the chief of Agadir was Georges Begou, who uh, later uh, left. And uh, he was a writer and he was a great entertainer. Uh, he was the one who introduced the famous uh, show of Man of La Mancha at uh, Club Med. He was more of a classical uh, entertainer with plays, uh, etc. So you're at Agadir, Morocco, 1970-71. Uh, did anything interesting happen there? Well, Greg, I think what happened there was what defined the rest of my career at Club Med. And that's the story. I was standing at the bar 
And uh, from the corner of my eye, I see uh, uh, an old gentleman uh, sitting down and all the GOs going to talk to him respectfully. And so I asked, I, I said, who is this gentleman? And I was told it's André Regat, the man I mentioned previously. And I said, but who is André Regat? What does he do? And they said to me, well, he's in charge of all the GOs and he's the one who names the chefs de village around the world. So, you know, I was 27 then and uh, I walked to him and I introduced myself. And uh, as I mentioned my name, he looked up at me and he said, well, I know who you are. I said, oh, thank you very much. So I, I made my pitch and the pitch was the fact that I was already 27 compared to the GOs who were starting at 18 and 19. And I didn't have time to, uh, uh, you know, wait uh, 10 years for promotions uh, at Club Med and that I was anxious to uh, be promoted as fast as possible. So he said to me, well, you know, considering what I know about you already, I followed your season at uh, Fort Royal and in Agadir and uh, I'll keep an eye on you. So keep on working, keep the faith. And I said, thank you very much. And I moved along. And then the, the rest is history, as they say. Okay. But before Chiva Village, you did two more seasons of uh, public relations. They send you to Carges in Corsica, summer of 72, correct? Yes, correct. It was a very difficult season for two reasons. Uh, one, uh, Carges, as you know, uh, is in Corsica. And in Corsica, there are a few difficulties with the Corsicans who look at uh, foreigners with difficulty. So that was tough. I was also public relations. And the chief of the village, who will remain uh, nameless, uh, was a difficult one and a hard one. And so my season was very difficult. And at the end of my season, I realized that I'd probably get a bad report just because he didn't like me. And he was upset at the fact, again, that all the GMs used to come to me. He didn't speak any other language. And there were a lot of Germans, Italians, and a few Canadians. So uh, I thought to myself, well, uh, if he writes a bad report, I'll never get another chance. So I uh, took my lovely pen and I wrote a letter to André Regard uh, in Paris. And I explained to him the situation. And that was it. And at the end of the season... I was uh, told that I would go to Martinique as public relations. So I figured if I go to Martinique as public relations, that means it's, uh, it's fine. And then there's another story attached to Martinique and Carges. So if you ask me the question, I'll tell you the story. Please. <laughs> yeah, okay. So whilst I was in, uh, in Martinique as public relations, as a matter of fact, Bob Kalinsky, who's another great geo who became chef de village afterwards, who was chief of sports. I was doing a great season. And in the middle of the season comes Charlie Benilouz, who was the assistant to André Regard. And he was the one who traveled around the, the villages and who appointed or fired people who needed to be promoted or fired. So uh, Charlie Benilouz comes and says, uh, I'd like to see you. I said, oh my God, Carges is catching up with me. So uh, I meet with Charlie. He has a good smile. We have a good uh, cup of coffee. And he says, well, listen, I have some good news and I have some bad news for you. 
So I said, well, listen, give me the good news first, the bad news, I'll be able to digest them later. So he says, well, congratulations, you're promoted to chef de village. I said, oh my God, I didn't expect it. It was fast, you know, at Club Med, to be chef de village after four seasons, it's uh, very rare. So I was very happy. So I said, well, what's the bad news? He says, the bad news, uh, you wrote such a great letter with such great details about Carges that you're going back to Carges as a chef de village. And I had a horrific, horrific, a very difficult season. But for the GMs, it was a very successful one. And that was the main thing. I have just one question because uh, you, know, you know how it how it goes nowadays. So I think you told me in your pre-interview, there was absolutely no stage for Chef de Village back then, right? Exactly. You were just, you were called the chief and that was it, right? Uh, that was it. Okay. Well, it seems, it seems uh, amazing, amazing and crazy at the same time. <laughs> well, you know, it's like when you don't know how to swim and somebody throws you in the water. You that's either right. sink or swim. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> and, that's, so. and that's the way the chefs de village, uh, you know, were managed in those days. But as I mentioned to you the name of André Regard, I think he passed away, uh, unfortunately, uh, uh, a few years back in Brazil. Uh, he was such an intelligent man and he was uh, uh, such a good, uh, you know, he used to analyze characters very well. I think he he saw. I mean, I was twenty seven. I was uh, I had a, a life before. I was married. I was teacher. So you know, I I guess he saw that I could do it, and I did it. And yeah, they 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 still kept you around, right? Because they sent you to Marrakesh, uh, Morocco, in the winter of seventy three seventy four as a chief of village. Exactly, there. exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah you're, no, you're no stranger to, to Morocco because you, you worked at Agadir. So how was Marrakesh? Marrakesh was uh, very nice. It was a village, on, uh, you know, that was in the middle of uh, overlooking the square called the square of Jamal Fedah, uh, which is the center square of Marrakesh. And it was a beautiful, beautiful village with a indoor, outdoor pool and, you know, very, very Moroccan. As as you know, I was born and raised in Egypt, so I speak Arabic. But my Arabic is different from the Moroccan Arabic, because the closer you get to the Mecca, uh, the purer is your Arabic. And the farther away you get from Mecca, which is Morocco, the Arabic has been diluted by uh, distance. Um, so these people understand Egyptian very well, because it's pure Arabic. But Egyptians have a hard time understanding Moroccans because the Arabic has been diluted and the words of certain objects and things are uh, different. Having said that, before going there, I was told that uh, Marrakesh would be difficult because the uh, local people working there were uh, syndicated and, uh, you know, that the least uh, problem, they would uh, go on strike. So I thought to myself, well, how do I go around that? So the first thing I did when I arrived there, instead of having my first uh, team, my first uh, meeting uh, as a geo meeting, I decided to have a meeting with the uh, local workers there. And I started speaking in Arabic at the beginning. And I said to them in Arabic that I was from Egypt and I was the first Arab chief of the village name 
and that I was told that uh, they enjoyed striking when they were unhappy. And I said to them, well, this would be a shame on the image of Morocco internationally to do such a thing. And that I counted on them and I was sure that everything would be smooth and I would take good care of them. The season went by without a strike. It was fantastic. So, you know, that's the story about uh, Marrakesh. Oh, good. And then you go back to Guadeloupe uh, for yes. summer 74? Summer 74 Caravel. That was probably my second best uh, season as a chef de village. It's a beautiful village with a beautiful beach and the uh, GMs are really international. And so I enjoyed it uh, very much, very much. Your next village I'm, I'm very interested in because it's Hanalei, Hawaii. And I think you might be the only person that's been on the podcast that uh, worked there. So please tell me all about this village. Well, it was the first time that Club Med went into uh, franchising. They gave, made a deal with a, a huge Japanese company called C-Ito, I-T-O-H, which was a very, very large uh, Japanese uh, company, which wanted to move into uh, tourism. So uh, we chose Hawaii because Hawaii was probably the closest destination to bring in a, a Japanese uh, clientele. Uh, so uh, I was named there because I was American and that I did not need working papers. And it was very difficult with the uh, American administration to bring some geos. As a matter of fact, the composition of the geo team was the most extravagant I've ever had at Club Med. We had 27 American GOs recruited in the States, uh, 12 French GOs who were in the top administrative uh, jobs, and then we had seven Japanese GOs. And none of each nationality spoke the language of the other. So you can imagine the uh, GO... Uh, 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 meetings where I had to have uh, people translating what I was saying to one, the second or the third uh, team. But in the end, they went by very, very well. It was a lovely, lovely, lovely village. Very, very comfortable. The rooms were huge. The views on Hanalei Bay, Hanalei River uh, were amazing. And, uh, you know, it was on the island of Kauai, which is called the Garden Island of Hawaii. And we offered helicopter excursions, like horseback riding excursions, going by catamarans to see the whales in the bay. We had beautiful Hawaiian music, etc. So it was really a wonderful, wonderful season. And uh, voila, so I'll, I'll never forget it. It was a season where I spent a whole year uh, compared to the six months in the other villages. And how long did that resort stay open for? It stayed open for five years. Five years, uh, from, okay. From uh, 75 to 80, I think. So you're one of how many chiefs that work there? Well, uh, about five. Me uh, and a few others. Uh, uh, Bob Kalinski was chef de village there. Uh, Mike Moody was chef de village there. That's it. I okay. don't remember the others. 
Well, it looks like they sent you to paradise right after Hawaii because you get to go to Tahiti, right? Morea in the winter uh, 75, 76. That was, but in between, I have a very interesting uh, story to tell. As a okay. matter of fact, it's the first time that I make it public, which is a very interesting story. Uh, we had seminars at uh, Club Med for the chiefs of the village, etc. And uh, uh, it was time, you know, I was 30 years old and I figured I better stop the villages uh, before it's too late. And I'd rather move into the commercial marketing, advertising end of uh, Club Med. So I identified the uh, top man in that area at Club Med. His name was Jacques Giraud one of the top bosses of Club Med, the next IBM uh, uh, manager who was recruited and he was one of the vice presidents of uh, Club Med. And I asked him if I could move into the commercial. Uh, you know, I, I sold myself to him and he said, fine. We went back to Paris. I stayed in the hotel and lo and behold, I go see a movie called Death Wish. I don't know if you remember that movie. Charles, Charles Bronson. Charles, Charles Bronson. And what I see in that movie, obviously, assassination, violence, etc. And everything that happened in the States in those days, I don't know if you remember or if, you're even, if you were even born, but in those days, there were an average of 29 assassinations per week in New York alone. And I was obviously asked to go to New York. So I said, God, I don't want to go back to the States at that time. So I had to go back to meet with Jacques Giraud. And I said to him, Jacques, I'm sorry. I couldn't tell him that I had seen a movie and that movie had uh, uh, impressed upon me not to go back to the States. So I said, listen, I still have a few years of me as a chef de village. And that's how I was sent uh, to Tahiti and never went back to 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 the States. <laughs> yeah, because then um, like right after that, you yeah, you join the offices, you yeah. go for a stage for for the offices of Milano and Brussels, correct? Exactly. That's where I went to learn about the job of managing a club med office. And uh, if you're interested, I can explain to you what the job was all about. Yes, please. Ah, okay. So uh, uh, the job then was that in each country, you, have, you had an office that represented Club Med. And that office had uh, two main jobs, one which was commercial and the other one which was operational. Because in some countries, like in Italy, for instance, you had 10 villages. So obviously that managing director had to be head of operations and head of selling club bed holidays to the Italians or the English or the Americans, wherever the, uh, uh, the uh, office uh, was. So uh, it was a very diversified uh, job where you had to uh, obviously be able to sell the club bed holidays uh, to the people uh, living in the country that you were in. And at the same time, uh, uh, have someone under you who was in charge of operations, of the chief of the villages, of the GOs, of the permits of the GOs, et cetera, et cetera. So it was a very, very interesting job. 
Yeah, I, and sorry, I skipped over the part where you were general manager of the Club Med Sydney office. So, you know, Australia is my favorite place in the world. So what, uh, yeah, what was it but, like uh, working there? Well, when um, after my stages in uh, Belgium and, sorry, in Milan and uh, Belgium, I was uh, sent to Australia uh, because there was another very good, interesting uh, general manager who is the one who had opened the Clubman office in New York. And he's a very good friend of mine today. He lives in Sydney, Australia, and his name is John Youngman. And um, after having worked with uh, French management, I have to admit that it was very refreshing to go to Australia and uh, work uh, with uh, someone uh, who was American. Uh, he was born in England, but he lived uh, and acquired the American citizenship uh, in the States when he moved there. The difference was very simple. The, the French managers were a bit hesitant when I arrived someplace because they thought that I would come and, and take their job away. Uh, whereas uh, John Youngman, when I arrived, opened up all his books and uh, allowed me to be present in all the meetings uh, that he attended. He was the uh, managing, managing director and I was the general manager. That was my first uh, job in commercial. So it was very good for him to uh, really teach me uh, the job because uh, obviously from chef de village to uh, managing uh, uh, marketing, advertising, and commercial entities. It's a world between the two. So I really learned the job of uh, uh, managing an office and people uh, for Club Med. It happened uh, from 1977 to 1971. Uh, sorry, to 1979. Yeah, and then in 79, they send you to Club Med Auckland, New Zealand. And were you part of the opening of uh, Club Med New Caledonia? Exactly. So uh, actually, when I was sent to New Zealand, there was no representation of Club Med in New Zealand. And thanks to John Youngman, I was able to arrive in Auckland, New Zealand and open up an office, hire people, uh, make the deals with the uh, airlines. And uh, I wasn't directly involved with the operational opening of New Caledonia because it wasn't uh, close by. I mean, it was a few hours away by plane and uh, they had sent someone from Paris to manage the uh, uh, operational opening of uh, Club Band in New Caledonia. But I was in charge of the commercial side of uh, getting sales from Japan, Australia and uh, New Zealand and developed the clientele in the uh, uh, Southwest Pacific. Okay, wow, that's pretty impressive. Uh, your your career here. <laughs> then I see eighty three to eighty five. You get sent to uh, Southeast Asia, right? Like uh, manager a of the climate office a in a Singapore. A yeah, exactly. They had in those days an office in Singapore, uh, an office in Jakarta, an office in Kuala Lumpur because they had the village of uh, Sherating, and then they were opening the villages of uh, Bali and Phuket. And they needed somebody with an international background uh, to be able to manage the operational heads of uh, Southeast Asia and turn them into 
uh, commercial entities to open up the markets in Malaysia, uh, in uh, Indonesia, in the Philippines, uh, and obviously in Singapore. It was a very, very interesting uh, job, very difficult because uh, the Club Med concept was totally opposed to what was going on in Southeast Asia, whereas uh, we would tell people, come to our villages, uh, we'll, you know, you, you get undressed, you wear your bathing suit, and you just uh, go around the beach, etc. In Southeast Asia, as you know, they don't like beaches that much. I mean, people who live there, they don't like beaches that much, and they want to show uh, the symbols of their success. So Club Med was sold as an emotional entity. And I had to say, no, you have to sell Club Med on the Asian market as an entity and a symbol of your success. So if you go to Club Med, it's because you're a successful person and you're going to meet successful people who come and relax at Club Med rather than just be like what Club Med used to say, come and let everything go. I just have a question about Singapore itself because I worked in uh, Ria Bintan, you know, 2001, yeah. 2002, and I would go to Singapore, uh, you know, yeah. whenever I could. So I was always fascinated with the city, but I'm wondering what was Singapore like in 83? Well, it was uh, in those days you had Lee Kuan Yew, who was the prime minister. And yes, that, who... that, is a, that is exactly my question. I was wondering if he was around then. Oh, yeah, he was around then. And then. Long hair were forbidden, chewing gum was forbidden, dark uh, places uh, uh, with yeah. uh, light were forbidden. So graffiti, was, yeah, graffiti, any, uh, yeah, and he was very, like, uh, very tough on if, crime, let's just if, say, right? If, yes, if I, I remember, I had bought a beautiful uh, Daimler, 1956 Daimler in New Zealand, and I wanted to uh, bring it to Singapore, but as it was old, uh, the older your car was, the more taxes you had to pay because they didn't want old cars in the streets, oil spills, etc. So I had to sell my beautiful Daimler in New Zealand and come to uh, Singapore and buy a Honda. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but beautiful, beautiful city, though. I, I, I love Singapore a lot. Yeah, uh, the, 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 we, I was beautifully lodged. I had a fantastic uh, company apartment on the 18th floor. 360 degrees uh, view uh, with the nurse for uh, our first kid. Uh, it was really, really fantastic. But one of the biggest problems is everything is air conditioned there because it's very cold, and uh, very hot, sorry. And when you move from air conditioning to very hot and humid, you, you had colds all the time. So that was a bit difficult. And the other difficulty in those days was that Europeans, non-Singaporeans, had a hard time mixing with locals. In those days, the Chinese community was the largest, followed by the Malaysians and the Indian. And each of these community was, uh, uh, you know, separate. So you belonged to a country club, which was the country club of your country. So I was uh, a member of the American club. Uh, another friend was a member of the Dutch club. Another friend was a member of the German club, etc. And I was told even before going there, when you go to Singapore, you won't meet local people. You'll just meet 
foreigners. I said, no way. I'm from Club Med. I'll meet far. I'll meet uh, locals. And it was very tough. It was very, very, very tough. So it was two years which were professionally very challenging, but I really didn't like it personally. And now we get to the part where you come to my hometown in Montreal in 85. Uh, you're the managing director of Club Med offices uh, in Lexus Neon Plaza, right? Yes, that was. these were the best eight years of my professional career at Club Med for many, many reasons. One, Canada, as you are aware, is a, is a fun, beautiful country. Canadians are amazing people. And uh, for me, which was what was amazing, is that going back to Egypt now, a lot of Europeans uh, or people of European ancestry who lived in Alexandria were expelled from Egypt when the revolution occurred in 1952. So a lot of my friends had to emigrate and go to different countries. And many of my childhood friends who were French educated uh, immigrated to Canada. So when I arrived in Canada in 19, I forget the date exactly, I found 20 of my childhood friends in Montreal. So that was really amazing for me. And I was able to, you know, adapt. I spoke French, I spoke English, obviously. Uh, so I was able to adapt very fast to the uh, Canadians. And, uh, you know, except for the cold, it was the eight <laughs> best years of my career. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. I apologize now for those winters you had to endure. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, be, being, club, being club med managing director, I, I was traveling free first class on Air Canada and UTA. So you can imagine the number of times I went to Sandpiper and all the villages in the Bahamas and the uh, uh, French West Indies. <laughs> did you uh, did you have a favorite? I mean, you don't have to say if you don't want to, like village in the uh, American zone. Did you have a favorite? Uh, but well, if you don't want to my answer favorite, that. My favorite was always Caravel okay. in Guadeloupe. Uh, the, beach, the beach at La Caravel today is for me one of the best beaches I've ever been to. Okay, interesting. Interesting. Very nice. And then from Montreal, we go to uh, Managing Director of Club Med in the UK and Ireland. Uh, you're based in London for this job? Based, based in London. And to bring you back to par, my three of my grandparents were British. So uh, one of them, my maternal grandmother, was British-born. And the two others, my maternal grandparents, were Maltese and therefore had British citizenship. So for me, going back to, to Britain was like going home, uh, except that uh, it wasn't as easy as that. As you know, um, with the Brexit, uh, the proof is that the English, uh, it's a big island and, uh, you know, you're either British by birth or you're not. <laughs> Yeah, well, you, you're. I'm just wondering because I'm looking at your what you sent me. Your family tree must be like amazing because, like you yeah. said, you have a Lebanese father, Maltese mother. I mean, it, it must be the biggest family tree that I've, anyone's ever seen, right? <laughs> if you trace, start and, tracing and, your ancestors. Okay. Exactly, and and the thing is, uh, since uh, this area was an area that uh, was a troubled area uh, during the wars, after the wars, poverty, etc. Therefore, I have family 
all over the world. If you look at the Kayim uh, uh, family, you have them in Mexico, a lot of them in the States. I have family in Los Angeles. I have family in Boston. Uh, I have family in Philadelphia and New York. Uh, all over the world, I have, I, I have family. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I just wanted to ask you, like, since you were managing director of UK and Ireland, did you have anything to do with, with Waterville in Ireland? Obviously, yes. As I told you, if you had a village in your uh, country, and uh, uh, Ireland was part of my responsibility, I was in charge. I was the head of, you know, the chief of the village answered to me uh, in uh, in London. Yes. Uh, Waterville, have you ever been there? No, I've only had one or two GOs that actually went there. Uh, which, it was, it wasn't one? open for long, right? Which ones? Which GOs? Oh, did I, I believe Fergie Fergie went there. I don't know if you listened to his uh, episode, yeah. because uh, Kevin Bat, I think, was there oh, at yeah. one point. Kevin, yeah, so Bat, Kevin Bat, I knew and appreciated very, very much. I met him at Sandpiper. I, I thought he was a very, very nice uh, uh, man. And obviously, he he was very successful at uh, at Club Med. Yes, so I used to have to go every eight weeks to uh, Ireland uh, to see how things uh, were going. The village was only opened in summer. Right? It wasn't open in winter because it was cold and rainy. But uh, I don't know if you know, but Waterville has, was a beautiful, beautiful spot for fishing, for golf. Uh, the golf links of... Uh, Waterville are very are even world uh, famous, and Waterville was one of the villages which was a hotel previously, which we bought, and the rooms again were beautiful. Uh, and no, no, it was a very nice village, but difficult to access. I mean, from London, it took me about seven hours door to doors to go to uh, Waterville. Uh, I had to go to uh, the airport in London. Obviously, one hour private, pre, you know before the uh, takeoff, then it was like two hour flight, then you land in Cork, then you had three hour uh, ride to go to Warville. So <laughs> it was a difficult place to, but Ireland is such a beautiful country, such a beautiful island. It's gorgeous. It's really very nice. And uh, this uh, part of your, your time in Clamed, this is in 2001, you uh, retired to France, correct? Yes, I have to admit that I had a few years in me to continue because I was only 58 when I retired. But as you may have uh, known, uh, there was a change of management. Uh, Serge Trigano was fired and uh, he admits it himself that it's a, it's a big wound for him. And when he left, obviously all the people uh, who the old geos like uh, me and a few others, when the new management comes in, obviously the, there are difficult uh, times. So I figured I better leave with my head high, negotiate my departure well, and uh, enjoy retirement, which I did. And you still do. <laughs> and I still do. <laughs> Okay, Alex, we are coming uh, to our end of this interview, but I, I do have one one last thing to ask you. Looking at your story and you know legendary career, I was wondering, would you have done anything different? Do you have any regrets at all? No regrets whatsoever. And as a matter of fact, if I had to give any advice to any young person today in whichever country they're in, 
is to go work for Club Med. Even today, even though the club has changed, uh, but society has changed. Club Med, I still go on holiday at Club Med because I still have advantages uh, to go to Club Med for uh, having worked there for 30 years. And uh, two months ago, I met a new chef de village in La Palmyre uh, on the French Atlantic coast. And he was a fantastic chef de village. His name was Arturo. He's Mexican. And um, I would advise any young person. In the old days, they used to say, go join the army and see the world. I would advise you to go join Club Med, see the world, and uh, learn about yourself and other people. Yeah, I'd, I'd hope the food at Club Med is better than the food in the army, right? <laughs> uh, it certainly is. And then you get paid well at Club Med nowadays. I remember, uh, you know, I started at $150 a month. Oh, really? <laughs> Wow. Yes, working 16 <laughs> hours a day. But in those days, money wasn't important. It was, you know, when you're in paradise, who cares about money? You had yeah. jeans around your neck and the bar and the beautiful women and uh, uh, great weather, beautiful beaches. What more do you want? Yeah, to be honest, I would have paid Club Club Med 150 months <laughs> just to work for them, you know, like <laughs> that's all I have. I wish I had more to give you, but okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's so true. That's true. <laughs> Well, this has uh, been amazing, Alex. I, I really want to thank you for uh, sharing your incredible story with us here today. Uh, really, thank you. Thank you for having me. Okay. And uh, everyone, so as you know, that was uh, Alex Elkayem. And uh, here's a part where we say goodbye to our listeners and thank them for listening. So I'll, I'll let you I'll let you take it away, sir. Bye-bye. Yeah. You just say au revoir. <laughs> there you have it. <laughs> Thank you. We'll see you all next week with another new episode. Bye.